I'm really glad to be here. Uh, we're in a series about the church called Unstoppable. We started that, we, we, our word of the year is church. And uh, we're wearing masks. Did I ever tell you why I believe I need to wear a mask? Let me go through that with you. Uh, there's a lot of controversy. In fact, someone just showed me a thing out of the New England Journal of Medicine about the mask, kind of saying, eh, not sure it's as helpful. Other people, other things, articles and research I've read says, oh yes, you gotta have it, it's very helpful. So whether it is or whether it is, is not, I'm not really questioning that. But for me, in this situation, in this church, here's why I wear a mask. Because you'll see me when I get all done, I'll put my mask on and stuff like that. I just took it off. Um, I think of a passage in Galatians chapter six, verse two, bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Ooh. So there's some law. There's an there's a, a aspect in which God expects me to do some things. Yeah. Bear somebody else's burden. So whether I'm going to protect them or maybe I would give them something, that's why I'm wearing the mask, number one. Number two, another verse comes to my mind. It's in the book of Philippians. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, I think it's verse 3, where it says, uh, Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. What? Yeah, I'm going to put my rights down, but wear a mask for you. Consider others more important than yourself. You can look it up yourself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And it gives, of course, right before that, Jesus is our example. So that's why I'm wearing it. And uh, I would encourage you to do it too, even in the service. You know, I'm glad you're wearing it, just in case, saving somebody from it. Or, like I said, even if you don't believe it, it's like, and I'm not sure I do. But it's like, well, I'm going to do that in honor and preference, with humility in mind, regarding others is more important than myself. So I think it's important to wear a mask. So we're going to be doing that. Hopefully, we'll be done with this thing in a couple of months. Because don't you hate masks? This is stupid. I just hate it. But I'm doing it because I'm going to honor others and I'm going to consider others more important than myself. I'm going to bear somebody else's burden. And nowadays, we are hearing more people getting COVID. We've had more people in our church get it, more people get hospitalized. Haven't heard of anybody that died yet, praise God. And let's hope we make it all the way through. And, you know, right now, we're in unbelievably unstable times, right? Social instability, economic instability, political instability. Even the weather seems to be unstable. It's a crazy time. But let me remind you, like I did last week, the Church of Jesus Christ has been through this for 2,000 years in many different countries, in many different cultures, in many different places. Been through far, far more world wars than we can imagine. All kinds of problems, far, far worse than what we're facing now. Far, far more, far more unstable than now. And if you remember last week, we showed had this up and down experiences through the whole book of Acts, which when the church looks defeated, it's not. Because Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18, you can look it up. I will build my church and the gates of hell can't stop it. And it's been proven over 2,000 years in every different environment, in all kinds of instability and all kinds of problems. The church is unstoppable. So in light of that, what I want to talk about today and begin a series of four sermons. The next four sermons are going to talk about something. The big question is, well, what makes a church unstoppable? And the next four sermons, what we're going to teach you 
is what makes us unstoppable as a church, as a person even, is your commitment to four different things clearly laid out in Scripture. Because, hey, hey, I'm sure you could point to this church or that church and go, well, they stopped, they're not working, or that church went defunct or had to stop being a church. Well, why? Well, it's because of their commitment to four things somehow waned. They didn't do it. There's four things that make our church unstoppable. And I put it in an acrostic. We call it the wife of the church. W-I-F-E. W stands for worship. A worshiping church is unstoppable. A truly worshiping church. Secondly, instruction. Are they literally using the word of God as their instructing manual and learning from God's word? Thirdly, fellowship. Is there really community in the body of believers? Are they really having fellowship with one another or just kind of pretending? And then the last one, evangelism. Are they still really on mission to reach people for Christ? We call it the wife of the church. I've taught this several times before in our church. I haven't taught it for years now, so I thought, hey, we should bring it up now. If we're going to focus on church, what makes a church unstoppable? These four things. Worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. And you know what? There's some churches good at a couple of them but not so good at the others, yeah, that makes you weak. It's a commitment to all four. So for the next four weeks, get ready. This is going to be powerful stuff, and we start with it today about worship and how worshiping church is unstoppable. What I'd like to do is pray with you about that before we even get going. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we come before you in this very unstable time with all the instability in politics and all the instability in our economy and all the instability that's in our culture and, and all the different social media things and all the social unrest, Lord, it seems like a scary time. And we need to remember again, it just appears to be defeat to us as a church because you promised the gates of hell can't stop your church. We have nothing to fear. We're part of your church. And now, maybe more than ever, we need to be this kind of stable, unstoppable church. I really believe, Lord, we could be used to lead literally thousands, maybe even millions of people to Christ if we can be the church right now, the real church, the unstoppable church, because people feel all that instability, and they're going to run to you. May we be that kind of church people run to, we run to, our kids run to, because we know, hey, this is where I find God. This is where I find stability. This is where I find strength. This is where I find motivation. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we see in the book of Acts. That's what we see in the New Testament. That's what we see in the life of Peter and Paul and John and so many others. I pray for each person here this morning that just this one subject of worship we'd be able to really get it under our belt. We begin to really understand, Lord. Would you help us? Would you teach us by your spirit the very words of God? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, a worshiping church is an unstoppable church. The big question then is, what is worship? Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been wrestling with that question for 50 years. I've been a Christian 50 years. When I was 18, and I'm 68 now, when I was 18 is when I became a Christian. Let me tell you my own journey a little bit, because this particular subject has been something I've done a lot of work on and a lot of thinking about. You see, when I was 18 years old, I became a believer, and that was kind of at the beginning, 1970, of the Jesus Movement. The Jesus Movement started out on the West Coast, came across into even where I lived in Minnesota, and even spread all the way here to the East Coast. 
And one of the distinctive things of the, of the, of the whole Jesus movement, um, I mean, we were all just a bunch of hippies, you know? It's funny, because when I see kids nowadays with holes in their jeans, I'm like, I was doing that 50 years ago. Like, the holes in your jeans is not a big deal. We had patches, too. That was cool to have different color patches and stuff, and fringes on the bottom. And remember, some of you are nodding your head. You remember all this stuff. You know, long hair. Oh, yeah, we had long hair. Anyway... One of the distinctives of the Jesus movement was its music and its style of worship was very different than how many of us had grown up, right? Like singing from a hymnal was not something we really got into in the Jesus movement. You know? No, we had worship bands and we had guitarists and we had drums and we had amplifiers and this blew the mind of some of our folks and some of the people at church. They're like, that's not worship. You can't have drums on the stage, like, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And we just, yeah, people nodding their heads, right? This, this is what it was like. So I'm starting to ask myself, what is this? And then there were singers and people and bands, like there's this guy named Larry Norman from out in California, long blonde hair, and he had a statement. His statement was, well, why should the devil have all the good music? That was his popular statement, and he'd sing rock and roll, and he'd sing it to Jesus. And there was guys like, like there was groups like Love Song. Does anybody remember them? Boy, they were powerful. Their Love Song, beautiful songs of love to the Lord. Barry McGuire, he was a hard rocker. In fact, he had songs like The Eve of Destruction, which in the 1960s was top of the charts in the world. We're on the eve of destruction, boy, would fit right now perfectly. That, that, that was Barry McGuire. And then he got radically saved the very night he was planning on killing himself. Because he knew Mama Cass. He, 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 knew, he, he knew Jimi Hendrix. These are his buddies. And he became a radical Christian. And we had him up a couple of times to sing at Jesus festivals and Jesus concerts up in Minnesota. And Keith Green, wow, what a great songwriter, powerful words, powerful message, second chapter of Acts, I could go on and on. I used to run a coffeehouse ministry that was an extension of our church, and it was called the Old Town Hall Coffeehouse, because just across the parking lot from the church was the Old Town Hall, where I grew up. They had built a new one, and we got to use this free. It had a stage, had a big open area, had offices in the back, we'd have staff meetings, we'd have, we'd have two or three hundred kids out every Friday night, we did every Friday night. I didn't realize then, but that was like my first church. I was just in my early 20s. I had just been a Christian, but it's like a little while. But we saw things happen. And there, I'm, I'm, I'm having people come in to sing. We didn't, our policy, we don't, we don't pay anybody. And of course, we got paid nothing. But we're just having these worship times. We're just having this preaching time. We're just having this give testimony time. And we'd have different groups in, different singers, different things happening. There's sing-along choruses. There's all kinds of stuff. But it was radically different than church in the old building where our parents had it. And little by little, they'd let us come in and do some stuff like that. And I, I remember one time my old friend Bob Henningkamp. This got me thinking about worship because right away I'm asking questions. Well, how come this is working? What is worship? Is worship a feeling? Do you, when you walk out of here today, how will you know if you worship God or not? If you like the songs? Really? If you like the sermon? Or you didn't like it? So if you didn't like it, you didn't worship. If you did like it, you did? What is this thing called worship? I'm asking questions like that. I remember Bob Hennekamp getting up on the... And Bob had been saved out of a life of drugs. He gets up on the stage, tall, lanky guy... Starts playing his car and singing, and he sounds a lot like James Taylor. Oh, surely not as good as James Taylor, but he sounds like James Taylor, just to give you an idea. 
And the beauty of what Bob did and the way he led people in worship and sang from his heart, you start thinking, wait a minute, we just had this group in last week. They're the pros, they're the big name, and they're not half as good as Bob at leading worship. What is this worship thing? I'm asking these questions. How do we do it? And how do we know if we're doing it right or not? And then what I did is I went on, I was in Bible college, so I wrote a paper on worship. I remember discussing it with my Greek professor and him teaching me some things and me trying to understand what worship was all about there. I remember going to seminary. I went to Dallas Seminary for four more years after four years of college. And in there, I wrote a master's thesis on worship. Learned a lot, studied a lot, read a lot of books, realized there's a lot of sloppy thinking out there. And in the New Testament, I saw passages in the light of worship I'd never seen before. Do you know Mark chapter 7? Jesus says, in vain do you worship me. In other words, you can do this wrong. Yeah, you could go to church wrong. You could go here and not worship. Absolutely. Just because you walk in the building and you walk out doesn't make you, you a worshiper. And then, then I'm looking at some stuff, too. In, in the book of John, John chapter 4 is a major passage where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well about worship. And he tells us there, it seems to indicate there, you can learn how to do this. Really. Like I said, I'm starting to understand, starting to float these things out, and, and then today I'm thinking, well, I got to keep it simple today. Like literally, I could write volumes on this. I could tell you all the different things I learned in my master's thesis and all this kind of stuff, but what, what is the simplest way I could communicate this, the clearest way I could communicate it? And if there was one passage of scripture, what would I use? I would use Revelation chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 4, and, or your phones, put them on Revelation 4, or Revelation 5, which we don't have time to get into. But in this one small chapter in the Bible, we have revealed to us a worship service. However, the worship service is in heaven. The Bible, again, just proving how ingenious the Bible is, does not contain any record of, of a worship service back in the day, like in Acts or in any of the New Testament books. There's no record of, well, first they did this, and then they sang this song, and then they had this person share, and then the preacher got up. No, there, there's no such format laid out in ever in Scripture, which is absolutely genius, because if the Bible had done that, it would have locked us into a certain time period, locked us into a certain culture, but to be translated throughout the hundreds and thousands of years into today with the freedom of form, but the mandate to worship. It becomes clear in all different cultures, all different places. Worship takes place because God didn't lock it in. The only example he gives us of worship is the perfect worship ceremony in heaven recorded in Revelation 4 and 5. Isn't that genius? I put it down this way, because if we read this, which we're going to do in just a few minutes, we will learn this. Ready? I put it down the big, big idea of the sermon. Worship is about the worth of God. In fact, the old English word for worship is the word worth-ship. That's where this grows out of, worth-ship, giving worth, value, honor to God. Glory is another word used because you're recognizing he's the only one worthy of that. That's the core of what worship is. And there's, there's two major reasons given in this passage you're going to see today. I thought, okay, let's keep it simple. Let's keep it real, real simple and clear. Just two things that you can never forget when you come back to church again. There's two things that you're going to be able to do. Two things you're going to try to do every morning when you have your little worship time with the Lord or you're with your family, you're trying to train them in worship. This is it. 
These are the two things. And the first one is this. Point one in your outline. God is valued. He's worthy because he's holy. He's holy. And you're going to see that here. You ready? Revelation chapter 4. Let's start. Let's just read the first eight verses. Now, he had just finished, Jesus had just finished, and, 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 and John heard it, talking to seven different churches. And he says this, after this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me, like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he, was, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carlinen, that's like a red stone, and, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders. Could that be the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples? We're not sure. Clothed in white garments with, with golden crowns on their heads. For, for from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Oh my gosh, this sounds, it sounds like, you, like a movie thing. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. Sea of glass seems, is that like a crowd, a sea of people? I don't know. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like, uh, was like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them was six wings, full of eyes all around and within. Boy, this is getting complex, isn't it? And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, I know you read that like me, and it just blows your mind. Like, it's just too much to comprehend. It's so otherworldly, isn't it? So completely different from anything we've ever seen or imagined before. It's hard to comprehend it. And here's what happens. I've seen it. I've read commentaries or scholars on it. Sometimes you get so caught up in the, the scene and all the details and asking questions. What does this mean? What does this mean? What? You miss the point. For example... The door standing open. What is, is there doors on heaven? The voice like a trumpet. Does that mean super loud? Uh, the thrones. Who's on the throne? The jewels that are mentioned. The rainbow. The 24 elders. The crowns. The lightning and thunder. The seven torches. The seven spirits. The seven spirits. The sea of glass. Is that people? Is that what is that? Four living creatures. The lion. Ox. Man. And eagle. What are they symbolizing? These are all allegorical kind of words. The wings. The eyes. And on and on. And we start debating all all that, trying to catch the scene and miss the point. And the point is what's said. Did you catch that? They all, day and night, they do not cease to say what? Holy, holy, holy. Anything mentioned three times like that in the scriptures means it's for emphasis. Don't miss it, it's saying. He's the Lord God Almighty and he's holy and he was and is and is to come. Um, 
The word holy means perfect, pure, blameless, above reproach. It means totally other, separate. Boy, you can see that here. This is separate. Complete. The point he's trying to make is, is God is holy. And if God is holy, then this holy God knows only how to make what? Holy things. You and me were made to be holy. And when you want your life to be fulfilled and you want your life to be satisfying and you want to make a difference with your life and you want to enjoy life, you know what that is? All of that, all of that, every thought and dream of yours is really your longing for holiness because that's who made you and he made you to be that. In fact, when he says here, John says, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. This is what I saw and they said this, who was and is and is to come. Do you see? That's what that means. He was holy, he is holy, and he always will be holy. That's what it's trying to say. He's saying, don't miss this point. This is what I heard. God's holy, and because he's holy, all of life is to be holy, and he made you to be holy. But here's the big problem. The reason this is in heaven, because it couldn't be on earth. Why? It's a unholy place. We're not holy. Ever since mankind fell in the Garden of Eden, we've been unholy because of sin. For all of sin to fall short of the glory, holiness of God. Romans 3.23. We all fall short. So this is our longing to be back to what we were made to be. Holy. And this is so often missed. Folks, please listen to me. Like in the modern day church, especially in America, holy, nobody even thinks about holy. Hey, he's just a nice old guy up in the clouds kind of guy. God is this love, love, love. He just loves. He's just gracious and kind, forgives everybody. You're like, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he's other. He's completely different. He's not like you at all. He's holy, and you're not. That's the problem. This is why we give praise and glory to God for Jesus Christ. Let me show you a passage. Turn with me, just one that tickles on this a little bit. It's Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul's writing to the church of Colossians, and he says this. Ready? And you who, 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 who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's everybody on the planet Earth, all of sin and full show of the glory of God. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death on the cross in order to present you holy. Boy, that has a whole new meaning now, doesn't it? And blameless and above reproach before God, before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, that's my step, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, do you see that? It was all done. This whole Jesus dying on the cross thing and shedding his blood for you was to make you presentable to God, holy to God. And all of our longings and all of our desires are fulfilled in what? Holiness. Because God made us to be holy. God makes all holy. In fact, you could say this holy God created life and he created life to be holy. So if you're not connected to this holy God, what are you connected to? Death. For the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. 
not being able to be holy, not being able to do what you're meant to do, be who you're meant to be. So does it start to make sense to you now? Like theologically, and I know, give me a minute here, we're gonna get some more practical. I know this seems upper level and theological, but unless you grab this, you kind of miss the whole purpose of worship. And this is so much where the Church of America is at. We've lost it. We, we, we don't get it. It's holiness. It's not about worship songs. It's not about sermons and stuff. It's about holiness, seeking him, longing for him, coming to him, praising God for Jesus Christ, our only chance of being holy. In fact, this is how you're saved, through his holiness, but it's also how you grow in Christ. You grow in holiness. Let me make it practical now. Uh, Bring it down to real life. I'm going to tell you about a person that's in our church, part of our church, has been for years. In fact, he used to be an elder in our church. He was on our staff. Uh, Now he's like retired. His name is Dick Wilson. Some of you know Dick because you heard about Alpha earlier. Dick is the one that helped us get started with Alpha and still works in our Alpha ministry. But what many people don't know is Dick is one of the greatest worshipers I've ever met in my whole life. And where did he learn to worship? You won't believe this. I'm trying to bring it down to level now, make it real, make it practical. Dick will tell you straight out, I learned to worship when I was in war in Vietnam. At 19 years old, he was drafted by the army. He flew into Saigon and then on into Vietnam, and they made him a sergeant because they could see he had leadership capacity. The kid's 19 years old. They made him a sergeant in charge of a platoon. And every night for 300 nights, he went out to set ambushes because the North Vietnamese traveled at night. (laughs) And Americans traveled in the day. Well, their platoon was to go out and set up ambushes, claymore mines, start firing. I talked to him yesterday on the phone just to make sure it was okay if I shared this. Here's how I heard about it. See, one time we're having a July 4th party, you know, celebration, and we're at Jerry Bradson's house. Many of you know Jerry Sr. And two of his sons were up here leading in worship this today. But Jerry, their dad, was also in Vietnam. And we were at this picnic, and all the girls are over here, you know, and the kids are playing in the pool, and all the guys are up here in the deck, and we're talking and eating hamburgers and hot dogs, and we get talking somehow about Vietnam and the war, and Jerry's sharing some things of his experience, and Dick's sharing some things of his experience, and I'm sitting there like, it's, it's like watching Saving Private Ryan or something. Like, these guys are telling stories, especially Dick. I mean, 300 nights you're out there? You don't know if in the next few minutes you might be dead? You have people dying in your arms? You're killing people with your gun? You're blowing them up with with Claymore mines? Like, this is your life? Yeah. And I'm in charge of a platoon of guys? Yeah. People are losing their minds, psychologically going crazy? He says, yeah, that's where I lived. I couldn't imagine the pressure. And I won't tell you any of the stories because some of the stuff that happens in war, I didn't didn't know. I've never been in a battle. I don't know. And he's telling me this. I'm thinking, whoa. And story after story of crazy things, stupid things that happen, all this stuff. And he says, yeah, so... So, Dick, so, Dick, how did you make it? How did you get through this year of your life? He's so clear about it. He is so clear. He says, I did it because I learned to worship. 
When I came to Vietnam, I wasn't really walking with God, but I grew up like that in a Baptist, hill in Ch- a Baptist church in Cherry Hill. I, I knew about it, and I'd learned all these memory verses, and I'd sung all these songs, but when I'm laying there in ambush, you can't talk to each other. You look up and you see all the stars. I'm thinking of all the hymns, every song, every chorus I ever sung. I'm trying to remember my memory verses I learned as a kid because I know it's my only chance of survival, my only chance of living if I get shot in 10 minutes, my only chance of keeping my head and commanding my, my men right in the right direction, not making a big mistake and getting everybody killed. My only chance is to know God and connect to God, so I'm worshiping Him. I'm praising Him. In my heart, I'm singing these songs. I'm looking at the stars thinking, He, he made every one of them. He made the entire universe, just like we're talking about, praising Him, honoring Him, recognizing who He is. And He was a very clear. Like I said, I even talked to him yesterday on the phone again about it. Very clear. Morty, worship was my only chance. And I look over at this crowd right now and I think, and I'm listening to people or looking at people online thinking, how are you making it? With your stress, your difficulties, problems you're facing, COVID virus, political unrest, I remember one time in an elders meeting, this guy, Dick Wilson, been there 300 nights like that. He looks at us when we're trying to deal with some nasty issue in the church, and he goes, hey guys, what you so shook up about? Nobody's shooting at us. <laughs> like, this is easy. <laughs> I had people trying to kill me. Whole bunch of them. Two different times. We were out of bullets. It's over. We're out of bullets. We're either going to be captured or we're going to be killed. And he says, the miraculous way God got us through. I've never met a more positive person in my life than Dick Wilson. Because he's learned to worship God. Every morning he gets up, he's worshiping the Lord. Do you? Do you understand? The only way you can have life, real life, is through worshiping God. That's it. And that someday is going to be what you do in heaven. Look at the book of Revelation. That's what we end up doing. Why? Because that's what we're made to do from the very beginning. And we find our fulfillment in being holy, worshiping God. Well, I got it, it's 10 o'clock, and I'm only through point one. So point two. There's only two points, thank God. God is valuable to you because he is the creator. Look at the rest of the passage. In Revelation chapter 4 again, starting with verse 9, right after he said these uh, living creatures say, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns, underline that, they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. 
Notice the casting crowns. We're going to come back to that. In other words, they're showing their value. Why would you cast your crown? Your crown, the thing that you value most, your crown, what you live for, your crown. He says you take whatever value you have, anything you consider important in your life, and they cast it before the throne, before God who's on the throne. And why? It says here, they said, worthy, worthy are you. You're the only thing worth this. Worship is a life response to the life giver. Because they say, we, we, you're the only one worthy because you're the creator. And all things exist because of you. This is important. Casting your crowns. Do you think you've done that? Do you do that? Do you know how to do that? What does that mean? Key phrase. To get to the answer of that, let me share with you about three words. Three Greek words are used in the New Testament to translate the one English word, worship. Every time you see the word worship in the Bible, it's not the same Greek word. And the nuances are significant. One of them, the most popular Greek word, is the word proskuneo. And it means to bow down, prostrate yourself, not prostate. That's an organ men have. Prostrate yourself. Adore means to adore him. Adoration. Bow down. Second Greek word, latreo. I think Latreo is the one used like in Romans 12, 1 and 2, being a living sacrifice, worshiping him. It's like the idea that you serve him. When you serve the Lord, teaching a Sunday school class, telling someone about Christ, serving him by helping your neighbor, or whatever it be, your service can be a worship to God. It's not just singing songs. It's not just listening to sermons. Worship is a whole life experience. It even involves all your serving. And then the last word, sebomai, which means sacrifice. That you're willing to cast your crown. You're willing to give value to something and even sacrifice for that by giving your life to be a, like a missionary, give your life to serve in Sunday school or be an usher or greet. You're going to do that? Yeah, why would you do that? To worship him because my sacrifice worships God. So you put those three words together, and I'm going to go quick here. There's a lot more that could be said, but put those three together. What does it mean? It means you surrender. It's exactly what happens when you cast your crown. To put it in real uh, clear English is just surrendering. Your problems, your burden, your need, your values, your, your wife, your husband, your relationships, your kids, your grandkids. Lord, it's all yours. Lord, I am created by you, worthy. And I give you worthy, my crown, everything I value. I, I just throw it before you because, oh, well, you gave it. I didn't get it. You gave it. That's how I got it. So it's all right back at you, Lord. Here you go. I submit. I surrender. Every one of those words, that's what it means. That's what the scriptures mean right here when he says, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory. That means credit. Honor. That means recognition. And power. You're the only one that has the power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The core of worship is casting your crown. 
How do you do it? Well, that's why we sing songs. That's why we pray prayers and worship services and we preach and we do offering and we serve one another and we give and we forgive each other and we love each other. All of these things are just tools, like in a toolbox. And you take one out and say, I'm going to use this to show my service. I'm going to do this to show my bowing down, adoring the Lord. I'm going I'm to show that by my sacrifice. All these things are acts of worship and just tools we use. Let me tell you, while I end this sermon, uh, my journey in, in this area, I remember when I was in my last year of seminary, two professors, they did this for a lot of students, they did what they called a mock ordination service. So you, you're going to be ordained as a pastor, and so it was very intimidating, made me very nervous. These two scholars are going to quiz you and ask you questions about your life and your values and your ministry and your scriptures and oh my goodness this is scary they could ask me anything and so you, you beef up you learn you study and you go into this thing it's just you and two guys and they're raking you over the calls asking you this and why do you say that and how would you defend this question what would you do oh, it's an oral exam and at one point one of these professors goes okay Marty why do you want to be a worship leader lead people in church Lead them to the Lord. What's your motive? Where are you coming from? How would you explain this? Oh, my mind is racing. And I think, um, gee, okay. I I think of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I'm under obligation. Uh, 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 both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the, to the wise and the foolish, the slaves, the free man. He goes on, he said, that word obligation popped into my mind. I said, well, because there's a certain obligation you feel. After all that God's done for me, after all he's revealed to my brain, I need to tell other people about this. I, I feel this obligation, whether it's to the Jews or Greeks. And you know what I'm trying to do? I'm obligated to serve him. I'm obligated to sacrifice for him. I'm obligated to worship him. In that sense, that word obligation is key to me. And I'm trying to explain that to these two guys. And the, the one guy goes, wait a minute, Marty. You're saying you do this because you feel guilty? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like a little taken back. Like, no, not because I feel guilty, but I feel I'm obligated. And, and I didn't share it then, but you know where I was coming from? An old Jesus people singer named Andre Crouch. Does anybody remember Andre Crouch? Remember that famous song called My Tribute? Here's how it goes. How can I say thanks for the things you've done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. Did you catch that word, owe? That's obligation. When you owe something, you have an obligation. And here is Andre Crouch saying just what I was trying to say to these guys because I feel a sense of obligation. And then as I thought about it further, I said, well, there's another passage because I was kind of stumped by his question. You just feel guilty. And I'm like, well, how about, how about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14? Do you know what that one says? For the love of Christ controls us. In fact, in one translation, I think it's New American Standard, said, for the love of Christ compels us. Because, you know, he goes on and talks about the different aspects of Christ dying for us and all this, but it's like... That word compels, constrains, controls. Those are three different translations of that one Greek word. It means to draw you to him. I said the love of Christ compels me. I, because he, he loves me, I'm going to love him back. 
And he's put that love even within me, Romans 5, 5. And the love of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know, did you experience this at all? I was talking to a guy this week. And, and, and he's saying, you know what? I just, I want to read the Bible. I just hunger for this. This is a guy with two earned PhDs. And he's telling me, I just, I'm trying to study this thing all the time. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to figure out end times doctrine. I'm trying to, he, I go, really? I said, do you understand that's a sign of the Holy Spirit in you? You truly must be born again? I've certainly experienced that to you. When I became a Christian at 18 years old, I wanted to read the Bible. Well, I never wanted to do it before. I'll come on. I actually love God. Why did I lo- not love him before? Well, he wasn't in there. The love of Christ wasn't compelling me. Right? Do you get it? And then, I loved people. I mean, you know, my like slogan to live by is love never fails. Where did that come from? Well, it certainly didn't come from me. God did that in me. And so when I read these words, the love of Christ compels us, constrains us, this is what causes you to come to church. It's not just an obligation, it's a love. That's what worship comes from, love in your heart. And it's because God's in there. And he draws us to himself because he wants us to be holy, reflect him, give our lives to him, surrender. Remember, that's what that word, all those Greek words mean. Well, let me conclude. Yeah, I'm out of time. As you can see, I preached way too long because I just got too much to say on this subject. As it turns out, you and me were made for one thing, to worship God. A church service is simply people helping each other do what they were meant to do and created to do, which is to worship. And I hope you don't just do it in church. I hope you do it with your kids at the dinner table. I remember my old dad, never even graduated from high school. He quit when he was a senior in high school to fight in World War II as a Marine. And never went back. And yet he would sit down at the dinner table and this old factory worker, my dad, would try and lead us in worship and read the Bible to us. Dad, I don't care how awkward you feel. I mean, here's my dad, his, his wife's a college graduate. He must have felt so humble and stupid that I'm trying to read my Bible, get these kids to listen to that. Yeah. And you know, teenage kids rolling their eyes, right? I am so glad he did that. He's trying to show us what's important. It's huge, Dad. Do it. Mom, too. Do it. Reading Bible stories to kids, whatever it takes. So let's end our service with a worship time. Here's what I'm going to do. Oh, I forgot to read from this book. Oh, well, next time. I want to read from a hymnal here, that that song called My Tribute. And I want you to close your eyes and worship God with it. Ready? Worship God now. You learned a lot here. I know it's a lot to throw at you. But use this one song called My Tribute by Andre Crouch. We'll do a piece at a time. I'm going to read it and help you turn your heart Toward giving God recognition, honor, and glory. Because he's holy. And he's made it possible for you to be holy in Christ. Give yourself to him. That's the second point, right? Because he's the only one worthy. Here it goes. How can I say thanks for all the things you've done for me? Oh my goodness. How long a list you could make. Maybe tomorrow morning when you get up, you just start listing it out. Well, Lord, 
I thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for that, thank you for these things, thank you for this pe these people, this job, these friends, this, this house, this wife, this car, this place, this country, this, oh wow, is he privileged you and me. How can I say thanks for all the things you've done to me? Things so undeserved. Yeah, I didn't do a thing. This is pure grace. This is pure mercy. He let you be here? He still lets you breathe air? Yet you gave to prove your love for me. It's proof that God cares. It's proof that he thinks about you. It's proof that he loves you. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. Yes, I do. I owe it to you. I'm obligated because of your love. I'm obligated because of your creation. I'm obligated because of your holiness to recognize you. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Glory, recognition, credit. It all goes to you, Lord. All that you've done for me, let alone the world and the Christians, your patience with this unstable world, unholy world, I can't believe it. With his blood, he has saved me. The blood of Christ literally saves your life. With his power, he has raised me. He wants to raise you to newness of life, the New Testament calls it, and even eternal life. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Just let me live. Just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. Don't you feel that? Lord, I just want to please you. I just, I just want to honor you. I mean, all that you've graciously and kindly given to me. Help me live my life to honor you, please you. And should I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. With his blood, he has saved me. With his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Oh, Lord, help us grow in our understanding of worship. Help us be a church that is a worshiping church. This will attract so many people to Christ when they see that we understand the reality that God created it all. And God let us come to Christ and his blood has saved us to make us holy. Help us not be afraid to put aside unholy things. Literally realize they keep us from life. The life we long for is in holiness. And so, Lord, make us your holy people. Make us your creation. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming here and worshiping with us today. Come on back next week. Instruction. Why is instruction so important? Let me show you. God bless.